Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to the Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find Jesus and follow him. that has it to be continued, right? Those, those great movies that at the end of it, they leave you with that little cliffhanger, right? Or that book that when it finishes, it just kind of leaves you knowing there's a little bit more still to come. I love how so many times God's word has those kind of things built in. And maybe you don't even realize it at first or recognize it, but it is. And when you see it that way, you can actually get a greater understanding of the intentions of what was written here, what, it, what, what was meant. And so here, um, there's also these opportunities for spinoffs, right? Have you ever seen a show that eventually spun off, like one character went off into something else, or, you know, you kind of saw a, a prequel to something like that? Well, in the book of Acts, that is, uh, in the book of Acts in the Bible, it covers 30 years, the first 30 years of the church in the world. And we have a lot of spinoff episodes that come from the book of Acts, and they're found in Paul's letters. In fact, we read, we've been reading some. This is what we're doing now. Paul was a major focus in the back half of that. And uh, Paul goes, and he's going to church to church to church, setting up churches there. God is using him. And again, I mean, so many things are going on and happening. And last week, we talked about how he wrote a letter to the Thessalonican church. And so you got to look at all of the epistles as a spinoff to the major story that was happening in the book of Acts. And so we have two letters. When we read First and Second Thessalonians, those are two letters that were written to this church. And so there was a, a, to be continued, when you read them both together, they tell one really interesting story. And we're going to look at a prayer that was found in Second Thessalonians today. And so, but to, in order to be able to understand what's happening here, I'm going to just make sure, kind of do a, you know, again, like uh, we used to do this in the last, uh, last series last year. But uh, like every time there's a new episode, right at the very beginning, it says, you know, previously to make sure you're all caught up. So making sure if you missed last week, this is good for you as well. So why does Paul write First Thessalonians? He writes First Thessalonians because he went to this place called Thessalonica, this little city there. And God used him to bring a great revival. People are getting saved. God is doing great things, amazing things. But in three months, he had to leave because the people... When you read the stories in the book of Acts, everywhere Paul went, they were trying, harassing him, um, intimidating him, beating him, trying to kill him, all right, because of the message of the gospel. That's all he was doing. This was the kingdom of darkness trying to stomp out the kingdom of light. But looking at Christ, even three days in a dark tomb could not hold him down, all right, and so it could not. And so 30 years of the devil's attempt to be able to kill even the Christians, to stop the, what God was doing, failed miserably every single time. And so when he's in Thessalonica, though, a lot of his buddies, a lot of Paul's friends were saying, buddy, you got to go. We got to get you out of here. Because in the last place, they almost killed you. Things are ramping up. A lot of the people from the other town chased him all the way here. And that's, tell me that's not, and we've all been there before. It's like you try to separate yourself from toxic people and they just kind of follow you. Golly. And so that's what happened to Paul. So they were like, yo, we got to get you out. They got him out quickly. And in those three months, that's it. 
He only spent three months with this church, and so he wanted to know, are they okay? Are they doing good? Because the persecution was bad, so he sends one of his boys, Timothy, to find out, and he was so excited to hear that not only was that church surviving, but they were thriving despite everything and with the only time that they had. So he writes First, Second, First Thessalonians as a letter to encourage them saying, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad, glad to hear all these things, but let me remind you and encourage you to keep running strong because his church is doing well. Keep running strong. And he said one thing over and over again to keep their focus. Here's why this one thing matters when we're going to read what we're about to read now. What was the one thing that Paul wanted this Thessalonican church to, if you just keep this in your rear, not rear view mirror, if you keep this in your focus, you will be faithful. And what was it? The return of Jesus. Five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. Every chapter mentions the return of Jesus. Five different times. Why? Because if you know Jesus is going to show up one day, you're going to live different, right? When you know we got to give an account to what and he's given and how we can, then you know you're going to live a little different. And if you keep that focused, it'll help you to be faithful in your run as you walk. So he was so excited. Only to find out he got another letter. He got an update from the church. He had to write this second Thessalonians. He had to write this letter a few months later because of what happened. And what happened to them happens to us. Here's what went down. Look at how. I'm going to I'm going to expose a little bit of uh, you know, demonic doctrines and what they like to do. They're slick. Remember, what was the one thing that the Thessalonican church had to focus on? The return of Jesus. So there were some false teachers that showed up that were inspired by demons. And you know what they did? They started telling them, brothers, sisters, and they, they pretended to be Christians, and they pretended to be very spirit-filled and all that stuff. Brothers and sisters, now we don't know exactly what they said, but we know the ramifications. It came off something like, we received the revelation, and God, Jesus, is returning any day now. Any day. But not just any day. That's what Paul said. But no, it's like... Any day, any day, it's happening. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. And so this church got so into, and they bit the, you know, the bait. And now because of that, they started freaking out, some of them, because the persecution was getting worse. Some of them were even dying. They were losing their life. They were getting killed for their faith. And so some of the church was freaking out, like saying, wait a minute. Did G Paul told us that when Jesus returns, the world is going to be judged and there's going to be the wrath of God on the world. And so they're seeing difficulties and persecutions ramping up. And in their minds, some of them are thinking, did we miss it? Did Jesus come and go and miss it? Did he miss us? Did, did, did we get it wrong? Like, what's going on? Because they thought the persecution was the wrath of God. Because what were they told? Jesus is going to show up any day now. And you better be ready. You better be ready. So they had this crazy anxiety. And they were like, oh, no, I think we missed it. And then some of them, oh, my gosh, some of them, the lazy ones in the church heard this. I don't know how, how you would feel. If you were like, hey, Jesus, if I could prove Jesus is going to show up in the next 48 hours, six days, you're going to live differently, right? One way or another. There were some lazy ones in the church that said, wait a minute, Jesus is going to show up any day now? You know what? I'm not going to work. <laughs> All right? I'm not going to work. I got enough money in my job. I got enough money in the bank to be able to sustain me. I'm just going to chill until he comes and pulls up and picks me up. That's what I'm going to do. Some of them sold their possessions. Some of them sold their homes 
because they were like, why am I going to need a house? Jesus is going to show up. And so they literally got rid of all of their stuff just to be lazy and to live and whatever. And then now, this is why I think it's so interesting. Look at the lie. Did the demons and false teachers tell them, don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Don't believe that Jesus is alive? Don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Don't believe that Jesus is returning? Oh, no. They said, hey, believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Believe that he is, you know, coming back. They just added one little, one thing. Just believe he's going to show up any day now. And that's exactly what, when, when the enemy just adds just a little nugget of a lie in the truth, it no longer becomes the truth. And this church meant well. They meant well, and they were, and so Paul writes this letter to help calm them down. In 2 Thessalonians, in the, check, in the second chapter, he talks about how what happened here, about how this, these false teachers rebranded. And that's the thing I want us to all be careful with today, because this is part of our prayer. Paul, Paul's prayer and ours is that the enemy is really good at rebranding lies to make them sound like the truth. And when you believe a truth, but it's really a lie, it's going to wreck your life. So, for example, look at this individual on how good he is at just rebranding Reese's peanut butter cups. So, can we put the video on? Rebrand Reese's to sound like a health food. The greatest candy of all time? Easy. They're going to rebrand the king-size Reese's big cups. Having two giant Reese's cups means there's 10 grams of protein total. So, we're going to call this... Reese's Pro Plus, the plus being fiber. So we're gonna say 10 grams of protein and four grams of fiber. We're not making any claims that this is high protein or high fiber. We're just stating how much is in there and we're just omitting the fact that this is over 400 calories. Reese's are technically all natural because there's no real definition of what natural is. So we will call this one all natural. And you know we gotta throw in some of our favorite health food buzzwords. Gluten-free, no cholesterol, no trans fat, and no artificial sweeteners. We'll make the packaging a little bit more exciting. I still want this to be really simple and minimal. And of course, our Reese's Big Cups. And there you go. We got healthy, high-protein Reese's Pro Plus. Side note, I really wanted to make this shape like a bicep, but as you can see, that's kind of ridiculous. But there it is anyway. What should I rebrand next? All right. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> Guys, did you check that out? How good? Now, again, it. I don't know. When you look at it and you look at the packaging, you're like, that looks like a good option, like, right? But it's the same garbage candy that tastes so delicious, right? And so, but notice that by rebranding, re, and, and notice he said, hey, we're going to use the word all natural. Why? Because the FDA doesn't have a true definition of what is all natural. By the way, yeah, be suspicious of everything at the store now, all right? So, right? You saw that? Hey, let's give these health buzzwords. Did this man lie in anything that he just did? That's the scary part. That should freak you out. Did he lie in the way he just described that Reese's Big Cups? He did not. But did he make, did it feel, did it make you feel differently about that product? Oh, yes, it did. And that's all the devil does since day one in the garden. Rebrand, rebrand things, uh, rebrand a lie to make it sound like the truth until you're like, I eat all these all the day. This is a healthy snack. Why am I, you know, gaining 20 pounds a week? Okay, okay. You, you bought a lie. You bought into the lie. 
And so we got to be super careful, guys. And part of our prayer, and this is Paul's prayer to a church. And could you imagine this church? This church was running well. This church was faithful. And they believed a rebranded lie and then found themselves kind of now with a mess. And it was unintentional, right? They didn't mean to do this, right? But that's the thing about the enemy, guys. Listen, if the devil and demons cannot keep a person from getting saved, they want to do everything possible to keep you from living a saved life. There's, listen to that one. They will do, if they can't keep you from being saved, they will do everything possible to get you from living and enjoying what a saved, like, a saved life looks like. They just want to steal, kill, and destroy every opportunity that you get to not only enjoy Christ in eternal life now, but so that God can use you to help others. So when you read the rest of the letter, which I encourage you to do that, that's why when he talks about the lazy people in chapter 3, it's because of, of what they were doing, all right? And so every time we, we bite, bite a lie, hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wreck our lives. But that's what we have to remember, that especially in those moments, which is why last week we talked about this sermon, called it Cruise Control Christianity, and today I'm just calling it Course Correct. Like, what do we do when we find ourselves kind of like not all there at times, all right? And so this prayer is going to remind us not only how and but why we can live faithful lives despite even when we make our faults. So now let's look at the prayer. So 2 Thessalonians 1, got two verses. It's a short little prayer. And I want you to pay attention because in this prayer, it checks off. In two verses, he checks off everything that's in the Lord's prayer. In these two verses, you're going to see that it's a prayer that honors God as holy. It is a prayer that is praying for the will of God, for the kingdom of God to expand. When he speaks of grace, it is the daily bread of God, all right? That is speaking of the grace in his word. And part of it includes the love and the grace, uh, well, the grace to love, which is forgiveness, forgive one another. And it's a prayer of deliverance. Deliverance from what? Demonic lies that keep us from understanding who God is and living for him. So, you're going to check it out. So let's read now. Let's put it up. Let's look at the first one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. In view of this, and the reason why I brought up that whole introduction is because of that opening phrase to the prayer. In view of this. In view of this is what? At the beginning of the first chapter, he's reminding them of Jesus' return. He's encouraging them. He also says, yeah, listen, there's some of those false teachers that have messed things up for you. But understand, pray for them and know that God is going to handle everybody. So don't worry. Don't take vengeance on yourself because you, they lie to you and you believe them. But remember that Christ is returning. Remember that he is, he's, can give us the strength that we need to endure whatever difficulties in our life. So in view of this, Christ's return and his faithfulness and his grace. He does this prayer. We always pray for you. And here's the prayer request. Ready? That our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill every desire to do good and your work produced by faith. So that, so now look, here's the reason behind the prayer. I pray, the prayer request is that God makes us worthy of his calling. So that, why? For what purpose and reason? So that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his prayer. All right? So the ultimate, really, it's one prayer request. His ultimate prayer request is just one thing, that God, that God will make you worthy of his calling. 
that you may live a life that reflects Christ as holy, God as holy. That's the prayer request, that God make you worthy of his calling. Now, just define calling really quick, because what he's not saying is, hey, this is true though, all right, but be careful what I, the way I'm going to say it and the way you're listening. God does have a calling for people, all right? Now, a lot of times we get caught up in what's my specific calling, right? What's my specific thing? But listen, in Scripture, what we get is we must be concerned with the general call. The calling that God gives us is to do this. The general call is the same for all. The calling is to salvation and to live a saved life. The calling that God gives us is to that is to not only call on his name to be saved, but to follow but to, and to live, to reflect God, to glorify God, to know him and make him known. Guys, that is your calling in life. If that, if you're not concerned about that one, then the other one is going to be irrelevant and it's just all a lame substitute, okay? Your ultimate calling is to know God and to make him known no matter what, period. And part of that calling, Jesus said, you know what you're called to? This is not the calling anybody wants, all right? And there's no refunds on this one. Some of your Mother's Day gifts can be refunded, but not this one, okay? Um, Jesus is, says, part of the calling every believer, you want to follow me? You want to love me? You want me used by me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, if you want, if you want me to use you, then people are going to treat you like they treated me. That's the one that we don't like. How do they treat Jesus? They didn't appreciate him a lot of times. They overlooked him. They, they, they abused him verbally. They lied about him. They backstabbed him. They threw him under the bus every which way. Oh, I want to be used by God. Cool. Well, you're going to get some bumps and scrapes along the way then if that's going to be the case because God works. And that's part of the calling there. So he's reminding them. Part of your calling is to endure suffering. Guys, I, I would have, my heart would have broken to be able to hear. Could you imagine some of these Christians who were like, Wait a minute, God's going to come in any day now and the persecution and the threat to their life is so real? I'm sure some of them are like, oh my gosh, we just got to make it 48 hours. We just got to make it three more days. We just got to hold on three more days and only for Paul to say, yeah, there's a lot that still has to happen before Jesus shows up, which he talks about in the rest of the letter. He says, guys, don't freak out. This, 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 this has to happen before Jesus shows up. Some of them would have been like, so I got to wait longer, <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like, oh, that would have been, but that's what Paul is reminding them. This is your calling and God, the, God, the ones whom, whom God calls, he equips and he will give you strength to endure. So to live a life worthy of the calling is to be saved, to serve and to live a saved life and to suffer. But notice how, oh, I love even the source of it. Notice he says, I pray that God will make you worthy. What does that tell you? Who can't make someone worthy? You. You can't make yourself. You can't train enough. You can't earn it. You can't get there. Only God can make you worthy of the calling. And worthy doesn't mean that you're better and that, you, yeah, I deserve this. No, it just means that you reflect a worthy God in your life. Only God can do that. But notice he said, he gives even how. I pray, the first thing was I pray that God will make you worthy of the calling by his power. You heard the first one? By, not by your strength, not by your power, but by whose? His. And this power comes from him. And he just, when he later calls it, and that it is all according to the grace of God. Grace, guys, is literally everything we lack. In the first letter, he says, I pray that God may complete everything you lack. 
And what did this church lack? Him. And so God's grace is everything in which we cannot, you know, none of us are perfect enough. None of us are perfectly patient, perfectly kind, perfectly loving, perfectly anything. We're not perfectly wise or none of those things. But that's when the grace of God, when we get to rely on him to be able to kind of like make up the difference. Where we can know that we fall short, but his hand does not. And we can trust in him. And so it is by his power, not by us. But then it is a power that works in us to then work through us. And when I was looking at this, I was um, having a Bible study. And, and uh, it was actually with a teenager. Shout out to Carlos on these two analogies I'm going to show with you. Here's the first one. So when we looked about this, he showed, he was talking about, well, that sounds like a, sounds like a power plant and a generator. And we were looking at this. Can we put this up? I'm sure some of you know how power gets to your house. Some of you don't, you know, have probably... Uh, you're only reminded that power comes to your house when you get the bill, right? And then you're like, oh, that's right, okay. Ooh. But think about it, all right? There's a power plant far away, all right? There's a sort, there is something that is generating all the power that's in your house, that's operating all the appliances, all the TVs, the Wi-Fi, the internet, the everything. And notice, it is a sequence of things. There's transformers, there's uh, the transmissions, lines, substations, powered amplifiers. The reason why they need all these things is because the longer the cable runs, the less the electricity, the power becomes. So you need something to recycle the power, to boost it, and to keep it strong so that when it gets to your house, everything is working great, okay? So I want you to see this. And then in the house is everything that is operating in it, all right? It is coming from a power source outside of it. So now to come back here, I want you to see us the same thing. We've been singing a lot about the throne of God, Right? We've been singing and declaring and looking at verses about the throne of God. Why? Because the center, the source of all life and power is found in God. All right? The throne of God. And by his grace, we, because of what God has done, if you have believed in Jesus, in your Lord and Savior, you have been connected, reconnected to the source of life. That's a fancy word for reconciliation. To be reconciled is to be reconnected back to God, back to the source of life. And we all know what it's like when something, um, well, I don't know if you have machines like this anymore, but, we, you know, there are some things that you have that if once they are no longer, um, once they're dying and low on battery, it doesn't operate the same way, right? You guys know that your phones, when it's really low on battery, it's slower because it's not enough power to engage. Uh, I, have a, um, I have a clipper, you know, a shaver, whatever, you know, for, for, for my, I can't even talk right now. All right, for my beard, I use it just to trim the the fake beard that looks like it's going to show up, but it never does. I, I keep it like that, all right? And so I have it. It's a charged one. And, I'll, and I'll, I, I never charge it. You know, it's just there. But I start noticing, when do I have to charge it? I start noticing when the blades aren't running as fast, right? And I start noticing that. So then I plug it in, and then, oh, there it is. It's perfect now because the battery was low. And so, guys, think about that. Why does God, he's reminding this church about the Power, that God can make you by his power. And we're going to talk about that, that source now because, again, when we are disconnected mentally from the truth of God, all right, we, we can't operate in our own wisdom. It's not powerful enough. Our own strength is not powerful enough. The, you know, the church, this word acts like an amplifier. This is why we need to get in God's word so many times because it amplifies the truth and, and recycles it and reminds us about who he is and what we need. 
The church is important too. God can use each and every one of us as a substation to be able to do that very thing. And I don't know if you even thought about this church as another one of those substations in which the power of God is working in the lives of people in this church that goes out everywhere in every neighborhood into all of our neighborhoods where we live, right? It is a power that is to work in us and through us. And that is called by his grace. That is what it looks like, guys, to live a life worthy of the calling. You got to remember, you can't do it on your own. You need him. But then there was another interesting one here that he said. Now, maybe the wording of the phrasing could have been a little confusing because I know at first I had to really look at it. And so he says, I pray that God will make you worthy of his calling by his power. Let me read it specifically the way he said it. By his power, what is the power to do? To fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith. So notice, what is the power for? It combines with your desire to do good. Now, what is good? I'm not just talking about good deeds, but to do good is to live the life worthy of the calling, is to do good, to love others, to point others to a good God, to be able to um, just live for him in that way. And so when he is talking about that, he's saying, I pray that God will give you the power to reinforce the desires. And, but here's the interesting part. He says that your desire to do good produced by faith. Produced by faith. Where does the desire come from to live for him? Faith. But faith in what? Because faith is, doesn't produce these desires. Faith in what? Or better word, faith in who? In him. Our faith in God, our faith in his word, our faith in his nature and his character. Our faith in God, when we do that, we put our faith in him. And he puts his desires in us. You see the difference there? See, guys, here's the thing. You and I, you and I cannot will ourselves. Not only do we not have the power to live for God on our own, you and I don't even have the right desires to live for him. We don't. Our desires are naturally corrupted. Each and every one of us, we are all, I've done this too. If you're a believer in Christ, I'm going to warn you, you are all susceptible to baptize your desires, your selfish desires, and you can live for the Lord, and you can call it that, but you're really living for yourself. It, it's very easy because our, this is why the scripture says don't trust the, the heart, um, don't trust in your heart because it's, it's full of it's deception, it's easily, um, easily manipulated, guys. We lie to ourselves all the time and believe it. And so that's, again, talking about rebranding truth, we're really good at rebranding truth. That's us. We like to rebrand things too. And it's not the same. In fact, it is the desires of God, it is His in fact, that's what the verse says. There's a verse sometimes that people misunderstand. And I used to misunderstand it too in, in the Psalms. It says that God will give you the desires of your heart. If you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You know how I read that? This was a selfish version of me. Oh, okay. So if I can just, I can delight in the things of God. Like I can enjoy singing and going to church, reading the Bible and doing this. Being a, I'm proud of being a Christian. If I can delight in him, he's going to give me what I want, right? Cool. That sounds awesome. I like that trade. You see how selfish we can be? Like, no, see, when you delight in the Lord, meaning when you learn to love him and enjoy him, he gives you the desires of his heart. Your desires change. When you, his love affects us. His love affects us. And so he says here, God's not only going to give you the power 
But it is in him, when you put your trust in him and his word, he will not only give you the power to do it, but the desire, because that's both important. Guys, how many of us, listen, now, I don't know how many of us, this is a rhetorical question. It's all of us, okay? You and I all have the ability to do something, but just because we have the ability doesn't mean we're going to necessarily do it, right? Because we lack the desire. Listen, we're about to end, some of you guys are about to end school, Right? You got, you are, listen, you guys, you're in school still, you guys are very capable, smart, all right? You can read, all right? You, 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 can, you can do basic math, but just because you are capable of getting A's does, and capable of studying, do you want to study, right? Does, exactly, right? It's like, just, because of, just because you have the ability to do something, doesn't, the ability doesn't bring the desire. Guys, you, everybody, you guys have jobs. You guys are all capable. If you guys have a job, it's because you're capable. You have the ability to do something. But just because you have the ability doesn't mean you really want to do it. You know. I'll give one last one. Talking about back to the house, the power in the house. Think of your dishwasher. Think of the dishwasher. If you got electricity, you're paying your bills, that dishwasher has power to it. That dishwasher can wash your dishes for you. Look at that. It, it's it, it's going to help and make it easy. But just because that dishwasher can help you and make the, the job easier, do you have a desire to even put the dishes even inside of the dishwasher? And maybe you do. And maybe you're like, oh, maybe you do. But then you put the dishwasher and a week later, you forgot to even take them out because of why? You just don't want to do it. You have, you have the ability. You are capable of taking everything out of the dishwasher. I mean, I know that's what happens to us. When I started to realize, wait a minute. The dishes are empty sink. How come we have no cups? Where are our forks? Open that up. Oh my gosh, it's like a week. It's like, you know, it's been there the whole time. Jeez. And so, and then what do you do? If you're me, you just take the fork that you need and close it and leave it there, right? That's all you do. You don't put the rest back. That's what you do. Because I, I'm totally capable of doing it. I just don't want to, right? That's the thing. Look at this. Look at this, guys. I want you guys to see this, because this is the part where you need to remember, you know, both things. I know there's some Christians, sometimes they struggle, like saying, well, I just, I just find, I just don't want to. I struggle with the fact that I don't want to serve the Lord more. So where does, this, where does it come from? You can't just will yourself to enjoy him. You just put your eyes back on him. Remember what did Paul say? In view of this, where should our eyes be? On Christ. If you put your eyes on Christ, your heart will follow. The desire will, will show. But then not only that, not only will God give you the desire, but he gives you the power. Because giving you the power is one thing, but what's power if there's no desire? Both come from him. So how can we be made worthy of the calling? It is only by his grace. It, I mean, it is only by his power. It is only by his desires in us, which is why he ends so that... And all of this is for what purpose? For his glory. God gives you and wants to do this in you so that the Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace. What's his grace? His power and his desire, his hand in your life. This is important. And so when we look at that, I thought it was an interesting play on words. He says, I pray that God will be glorified by you and you by him. What is that? That almost sounded a little weird, but it's, it's too good not to pass. Listen, it's too good to pass by that too quickly. Listen, how are we? God wants to do this in your life so you live a life worthy of the calling. He wanted this church to understand that. Same for us today. Why? 
so that God can be glorified by us. What does that mean? How do we glorify God? Guys, I know for some of us, maybe we think, well, I glorify God by doing big things for him, or I glorify God by by serving him in this and accomplishing and all of these things. Maybe, it could be a little bit. But you know what gets me is when Jesus said in John 17, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, praying to the Father, I thank you, God, and, and I thank you because I have given your name to them, the disciples, the apostles, and they, he says this, I am glorified in them. This was, the, they haven't done anything. If you've read the apostles and the disciples, guys, these guys were a hot mess. They were making things, they were messing things up left and right. In a, in a little bit that very night when Jesus said, I am glorified by them. That very night, God, Jesus was going to be abandoned by them. In the same night that he said that prayer. So how are we, how did they glorify God? Jesus actually said it. I am glorified in them because they believe in me. Guys, this is, this is hopeful. I want, a, I want an, a weight of anxiety to go off if you're shoulders, if you're a believer in Christ. You glorify God not by your performance. You glorify God because of your faith position. Not by your faith performance. You glorify him because I believe in him. Because when you put, notice he says, when you put your faith in God, God also then, by when you trusting in him, his grace then operates in your life, giving you the desire, giving you the power to do what? Sometimes the power is just to get back up again because you've, you messed up. It is his desire that he gives you to run again. His desire to start over again. His desire to press forward. It is God who does it. And this is, guys, something we do every day. You and I, every believer in the house, listen, you and I are called to glorify God every day in the little things. And you let God do things in the big. But then the other one was an interesting one. Okay, I can see that. How can we glorify God? Well, we let others know. I mean, he said, so that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified by you. Meaning that not only do we believe in Jesus, but that others are believing in Jesus. That God is doing a work in us and through us, right? That's, that is how God is glorified. By the same light that is in us, it is shining on others. And it's impacting and influencing, saving other souls. That's how his, so I get that. And that's supposed to happen every day. But how is God, how are we going to be glorified by God? That sounds a little more difficult, right? Okay, I, it makes sense why I how we can glorify God, but how does, how, do, how does God glorify us? Like, you know, we are not influencing God and, and we are not doing things in which God is revealing how awesome we are. You know, how are we glorified by God? And this is a cool little nugget. This is why, guys, when you read, one of the beautiful things about devotions is that you read a short little verse and you, and you can expand and learn a lot about that. But here's the negative part about when you only read things in chunks and sound bites. It's kind of like the news too, right? We only make, we, we make uh, the news is nothing but sound bites, tweets, clickbait. And we can believe a lot of things and because we take it out of context. And you can look at this verse like this and you could have assumed a lot. Well, how do we, how is God glorified by us? And you can really make it about us, and it's not. But when you zoom out, in fact, interesting, the verse before. I'm going to read you. I don't have it on the screen. Let me read to you the verse before. Because if you ever ask yourself a question, wait a minute, what does Paul mean, or what does John, or what does so-and-so mean when he said that word? See if he uses that word somewhere else. And that shines some light. So right before the prayer, 
Let me read to you verse 9 and 10. Ready? Listen, listen. They, talk about the false teachers, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength if they don't repent and return. And on that day, when Jesus returns, on that day, when he comes to be glorified by his saints, there it is, on that day, when he comes to be glorified by, the, by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. So in view of this, we pray. So guys, I want you to see this, that you and I are supposed to glorify God each and every day until that day in which God will be glorified by us. And how is he gonna go, be glorified by us? When he raises us up into new life. It is not, when, when he raises us up into new life, he will be glorified by us by what he will do in us that day. It is him. And we, and that is our motivation. Why should we glorify? Remember, this church was struggling. This church was, wait a minute, we gotta suffer more. We gotta suffer longer. I gotta deal with this. I gotta deal with that. I'm tired. I'm this. We're stressed. My, you know, so-and-so already lost his life. Glorify God every day. Why? Knowing that you, he will be glorified by you on that day. That he will raise you up to new life, not because you were worthy of it. But despite that we were unworthy and undeserving, he will do it because of his grace and his love. It's worth following Christ no matter what. And so he's reminding them and he's reminding us. Again, that's the one thing that they lacked. Same thing, remember he told first, first Thessalonians, I pray that God may complete what you lack. What are they lacking here? The same thing, the grace of God. The grace of God to live, the grace of God to endure, the grace of God for strength and for wisdom and all things. And so for some of you guys, if you feel, remember what I was telling a minute ago, sometimes my clippers, they, they don't work all the way. They start to slow down because they lose power. In fact, let me give you this other analogy. Again, shout out to Carlos Camacho. Check this out. Little, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally butcher the physics here, but look at this. Okay. This is a simple motor. All right. And if you look there, this copper wire is moving and spinning on its own. And it's an, it's an invisible force. Now, the only thing that's happening is you have a charge that is being ignited on the, on the magnets underneath the battery there. You saw that? There are batteries. There's a magnet underneath the battery. And when you have this copper um, cylinder, a solenoid, and when you connect the two, the magnets are creating this charge that is an invisible force, and it is moving. It is moving this endlessly, okay? And this will be, as long as there's charge inside of the battery, this thing will continue to move on its own in invisible power, all right? Now, back to here. Why do I say that? Because remember, guys, you and I, we are lifeless without God. Look, some of us, if you're a believer in Christ, you know what the before and after is like. And for some of you, you think, if you think you are and you're not, I pray that God may help you to see. There is a difference between existing and living. I'm going to say that again. Listen, there is a difference between existing and living. When you exist, you want to do anything, everything, anyone, just to feel alive. But it goes away. It's fleeting because it's not enough. There's not enough juice there's not enough charge in there. 
So every believer in the house, you're, we're all nodding heads online. I know that because you know what that's like. You ran, you ran to this and you ran to that and you would run to this. And you, again, you did everything and anyone just to feel excited, just to feel life. But it went away and until you had to keep doing it. But notice, where was the source coming from? It was you. You were trying to manufacture this. But when those of us, when we place our faith in Christ, we have found a burden that is so much lighter. Because it is not in us and it's not coming from us. Where is it coming from? An all-powerful God that is moving in our life. And so once we see that there is a spiritual charge that we are to run on. But look at this other video here. And I thought this was an interesting one. Tell me what. I want you to notice what happens. There. You saw that? Look at it again. There. You see that? Online. Describe what's happening. Guys, what's happening here? Everything is moving. And then you saw how it slowed down? Why did the copper wire slow down? It fell off the what? The center. You saw that? And we, when we were looking at this video, I saw that, and I'm like, Lord, it, it, could this be what the Thessalonican church was looking at? All right, so back here. So remember, they were running really well. That church was running really, really well, but then they believed the lie, and it took them off center, off the truth. Now, they were still faithful, but they were struggling more. Why? They were struggling a little bit. And guys, this is what happens to us. All right, come here. This is what happens to us too. Listen, when we are not anchored growingly in, in more and more into the truth of God, into the, I mean, we're all fall off anchor, but we got to come back on. And again, like my battery, right? Once this thing starts realizing, yo, it's, it's going a little slower, I recharge it. Hmm, same thing. All Paul is doing in this letter is getting this church to recenter back on who God is away from the lie so that they can run faithfully again. You see that? That is, what, that is what he did. And that's the same thing, guys, I want to encourage us with. If you're seeing you're struggling in your, in your spiritual walk, if you're struggling here, then you just got to remember, put your eyes, center your eyes on Christ. Center your eyes on his word. And it is by his grace that he will give you the strength and the courage and the whatever you lack. Guys, it's him. I mean, the prayer request, may God make you worthy of his calling. Well, listen, guys, only a worthy God can make you worthy of his calling. You hear me? Only a worthy God can make you worthy of his calling. Or to say it another way, only a faithful God can empower you to be faithful. Now, this is, again, what makes this so much good news. What makes what Jesus did for us good news. Because... This is not just like anything else, right? Every religion in the world has three basic things. Every religion in the world has, has a, a, a way of explaining things like, listen, this is the way you need to live, right? Every religion has that, right? Even every non-religion, every atheism, whatever, it all has a way. This is how to, this is the way to think. This is the way to live. This is the way you go about your way. And then every, every world, every ideology not only has a way, it also has truth claims, right? We believe this, and we believe this, and we believe this, and we believe this, and uh, apply that this way, right? And then every worldview and every religion has a, a form of, um, of life and a goal to get to, right? Whether it's nirvana or, or, or heaven or this or that, whatever destination. But do you know what all those three things have in common? All every religion in the world has in common except for Christianity is that all those things are found on the outside, and it's, the burden is on you, right? The burden is on you to walk this way. The burden is on you to 
to go and know the truth so that you can better understand, so you can rely on your wisdom, so that you can rely on your power to live in order to find a life that, again, what, and whatever you think it is, right? Joy and, and peace and, and fulfillment, affirmation, whatever it is. And it gets exhausting, doesn't it? Because it almost feels like right when you get that life and you're feeling like you have life, it slips through your fingers. And then you got to get to another truth in another way, and then it slips through your fingers. Well, what did Jesus, how did Jesus describe those very three things? When Jesus, Jesus does not come, and the gospel and Paul does not come and say, hey guys, here's the way to live. Here's the way to live. Live it. Here's the truth that you need to know. Know it. And, and here's the life that you're going to get one day. Go get it. Paul never says any of those things. Because Jesus never said those things. That's not how Jesus talked. What did Jesus say? When he spoke of the way, what did Jesus say? I am that way. When Jesus spoke of truth, he said, I am that truth. And when he spoke of life, what did he say? I am that life. I am that life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, Jesus says. And no man can get to the Father except me. And so what? this is the thing, guys, that Paul wanted, because this is what the Corinthian, the, the, the Thessalonican church fell for, is that every, every us and as Christians too, guys, you and I will be tempted to turn Jesus into a formula easily. This is the way I need to live my Christian life. Let me just kind of get what I need to live the Christian life. And thank you. I, you come to Jesus to get. I come to Jesus to I pray so that I can get what I need to live this Christian life. I come to the Bible to get the truths that I need so that I can live the Christian life. And then here I go on my own. Thank you, Jesus. All right. No. Because the way is not separate from him. It is him. Jesus is that way. We don't walk this way for him. We walk it with him, because of him, by him, through him. We don't know this truth is not for us just to continue, just to get smarter and increase in wisdom. No, it is him. It is a person. He is this truth. Guys, you, those of you, if you have relations with people, who would you say, like, I, I know them fairly well, right? I know this person fairly well. You guys have been married for a long time, right? You know? She birthed you, right? You know, she knows you, right? You know her, right? You, we all know each other. But this, the crazy part is, guys, you and I can live a thousand lifetimes together and still not come to the end of even knowing humans. You, you can't even get to the bottom of even truly knowing the other person. And here's God. So you got to remember, guys, a lot of us, we want to treat God as an idea. No, he is a person. Truth is not an it. It is a him. And this way is not meant to be lived outside of him, with him, by him, through him. And the very life that we experience, Jesus says, rivers of living water, life comes in you from him. And so in the same way that this church was kind of off-centered and needed to be centered on what? On another idea? On another practical step? On another, here's five ways on how to grow your faith. No, it's only one way, and his name is it's Jesus. Your eyes on him. Your eyes on him. And so for some of you, if you've ever, if you're a believer in Christ and you've been struggling, you're like, well, it doesn't work the same way, man. I, I'm following Jesus like everybody else. 
And why am I, why does it feel like I'm not growing? Why does it feel like God's not blessing me? And why is he not using me? Do you not hear already the problem? What pronoun have you used most in that case? What pronoun do I use the most there? Me. You are making it all about you when it's supposed to be who? About what? Him. You make it about him. And however he chooses to glorify himself in and through us, then amen. Whatever it may be, so be it. Because in the end, God will be glorified by us in what he will do in us and through us. And all we will do is give God glory forever and ever and ever because he deserves it. And so if you are feeling like, you know what, this little Christian life's not working for me. You're trying to follow away and trying to learn a truth and you're trying to live this life on your terms, in your power, in your strength, and you are not enough. You lack. Guys, we all lack. You and I all lack. And what do we do? We lack Christ. We lack him. But yet, the good news about this is that you and I will always lack God. But yet, praise God that his faithful love will never end and never run out. The very thing that you and I lack, he has, and he will never run out because it is who he is. It is him. It is him. And so for those of us, all we need to do is if we put our eyes centered on him, he will do the rest. Thank you.